In week one, I spoke a little bit about marriage, and I tried to elevate and exalt marriage and give everyone in this church the Bible's vision, God's vision for what a marriage is meant to look like. Last week, Brendan spoke about marriage, and sorry, about dating, and I saw one of the guys on Facebook saying that it's tip number three for all the guys, wear deodorant and shower. That was the killer tip of the morning for many, many people. But Brendan was speaking about dating, and he was trying to elevate and exalt a biblical, godly, wise, holy way of living out relationships in the church that is countercultural and different to, to the way that the world around us dates. He was trying to give us a vision for a godly way of dating. And this morning, I want to do the same with singleness. I want to lift up, I want to elevate, I want to exalt the idea of what it looks like to be single for the glory of God, and hopefully to give everyone in this room a vision for a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be single, whether it's single for now or whether it's single forever, what it looks like to be single to the glory of God. And I know there's some people in this church who are single because you're young. You're still young. You haven't found your person yet. You're not married yet. I know some people are single by choice. You, you want to be single at the moment. You don't want someone. Maybe you never want someone. But I also know there's some people here who are single and they do want someone. They're looking for a partner. They're looking for a spouse. And for some reason, that opportunity hasn't presented itself. And maybe you're disappointed and discouraged. Or maybe you're here today and you're single because you're divorced. You've been left. You've been betrayed by someone or you've lost your spouse. There's all of these situations in our community today, and I want to try and touch on all of these things for everyone in the community who is single. I hope it will encourage you. I hope it will give us a new understanding of what the Bible has to say about these things. And to do that, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you could turn there in your Bibles this morning, it will come up on the screen behind me. But this chapter is crammed. It is full of teaching, of understanding about marriage, about relationships, and about singleness. I'm not going to read the whole chapter this morning, but I really would encourage you to go home, read it through, take a pencil and underline, circle certain things, ask questions while you read through, pray through the text, meditate on it, and ask God to speak to you about relationships through this passage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start in verse 6. I'm going to go through a few verses, jump a bit, go through a few verses, jump a bit, and hopefully give you an idea of what. God has to say about singleness through this passage. Now what it says in verse 6 is now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul, who's writing this letter, is clearly a very confident, happy, content, single man. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And from verse 32 to 38, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, 
Let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. That's the word of the Lord. That's what Paul has to teach us about singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three things. I want to look at the gift of singleness that Paul talks about here. I want to look at idolatry and marriage and singleness, how we can lift up other things above God in our lives. And lastly, I want to look at Jesus and singleness. So the first point today, the gift of singleness. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7, Paul is speaking and he says, I wish that all, I think I've emphasized that enough now, all, whereas I myself am single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul shows us very clearly that he is very, very content in his singleness. He is a happy single man. He has no desire to ever get into a relationship with a woman, to ever get married. He's happy. We read as we go through his letters, we see that he is constantly around other people. Paul is not lonely. Paul is not alone. He has got a whole team of people that he does life with, that he does ministry with. He's got friends around him at all times. Paul is not a lonely man. And Paul also says, listen, the reason that I want to stay single is because I know that I can do more for God if I stay alone. He actually says in this letter, it seems almost controversial, he says, actually a wife would just get in the way. A woman would just get in the way of the call of God, the purpose of God on my life. So for me, it's better for me that I stay single. You do whatever you think's best, but for me, I choose to stay single. We see that Paul is so content. Paul loves his singleness, and Paul lifts up this beautiful picture of being single in a very, very happy way. But we do also see here that he's not saying it's singleness only. Paul speaks about marriage and singleness as both good gifts from God. And he does lift both of them up in what he says here. He encourages all of the people to stay single, but he has a balance between marriage and singleness. And I do want to say sadly that I think what Paul is saying here is not what you'll find in the majority of churches or Christian culture or Christian bookstores. So I reckon if you went to a Christian bookstore today and you went to whatever section they've got on singleness and marriage and things like that, the books that you would find on singleness would not give Paul's view, Paul's glorious view, his vision for the beauty of singleness. I think you'd find something very, very different. You'd find books with tips like this, 10 tips to winning over that man, five steps to find your dream wife or how to get married for dummies. I think that's the kind of thing you'd find in Christian bookstores. And that's not what Paul is speaking about here. That's not the idea he's giving here. He's saying singleness is a beautiful, incredible thing. But I think sometimes what Christians try to do, churches try to do, Christian bookstores try to do, is to save ourselves from our singleness, to make us unsingle. But we want to hear the words of Paul here. Two weeks ago, um, when I spoke on marriage, I looked at Ephesians 5, and particularly Genesis 2 verse 18, where it says, it is good to marry. But then we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 7, and here Paul is saying, it is good for a man not to marry. So we find these two truths in tension. It's not that they go against each other. The Bible isn't contradicting itself here, but there's a balance of these two truths on the church, on the believer, on us. Marriage is a very good thing. It's good to get married. Singleness is a very good thing. It's good to be single. And Paul's trying to show us these two things. They're both gifts and they're both good. And we mustn't think that singleness is a problem that is solved or that save or that we can be saved by marriage. That is what Paul is trying to rescue us from. That is not the way 
we should be thinking. But I want to say that more than just lifting up and giving us a vision for singleness, what Paul does is he calls it a gift from God. He says that a singleness is a gift. It is a very, very good thing from God and something that we should celebrate, that we should exalt in, that we should enjoy, and that we should appreciate if that is the gift that God has given to us. I know for myself, I was chatting with someone about water polo earlier. I was in the first team water polo team at Clue Fire, but I don't think that's saying a lot for our team. I was never the most sporty or athletic player. I was uh, one of the guys who, when we got onto the field, and when everyone was in a circle and the two captains stood out front, I would generally be chosen in the bottom three. Unless one of the captains was one of my close friends and he chose me first or second, I was not that sporty or athletic. I just don't think I've got the instincts for sport. Some people just, they know what's going on. I don't. I'm, I'm a mess out there on the field. So I know what it's like to be chosen last. I remember in grade nine playing hockey, I was often only on the field for half a game at the most. Maybe I got a quarter of a game. I know what it's like to sit on the bench is what I'm trying to say here. And I want to say that that is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not saying that singleness is the romantic equivalent of sitting on the bench. He is not saying that, and he's not trying to patronize single people. He's not saying, shame, it's a good gift for you guys. He's saying it is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing to be embraced and enjoyed. You haven't been looked over. You haven't been ignored. You haven't been forgotten about. You haven't been rejected. It's not like you haven't been chosen. Paul is saying you have a unique and different gift from God, and it is a very, very good gift. And we see here that Paul is very secure in his gift. At the end of 1 Corinthians 7 there, he says, it's good to get married, but it's even better to stay single. That's his view. He encourages everyone to stay single. We'd love to see some people date and get married in this church, but we'd also see, love to see some people securely single for the rest of their lives for the glory of God. But I wanted to say, if you're here today and you're single, like so many of the people in our church are, and you are insecure, I understand that. Paul is so secure and confident, so content in his singleness. But if you don't feel like that today, if you feel more like maybe I did on the sports field, overlooked, benched, ignored, not allowed to play, I want to say, please would you look to the cross. We try and say this so often, but the cross is our ultimate sign of the affirmation and love of God. And as we look to the cross, we see how God paid a huge price for every single one of us, how much God loves us, how much God cares for us, how much God chose us, how much God values us, how much God esteems our worth. On the cross, we see that we haven't been overlooked or forgotten. We haven't been benched. We haven't been sidelined. On the cross, we see that God loves us and cares about us. And just because you might not have been chosen by someone to have a husband or wife in this life, doesn't mean that God hasn't poured out his love, that he hasn't poured out his affirmation and approval on each one of us. On the cross, God shows us how much we are all truly worth. And that is where we need to find our identity and security in. You have been chosen by the only one whose opinion truly matters. So how do you know if you've got the gift of singleness here today? I don't know if anyone wants to raise their hands and say it's theirs. But I know for me, as I started to walk with God, I'd walk by faith. And all of a sudden, Michelle was around. And she was kind of in my peripheral vision. I could kind of see her out of the corner of my eye. And then after a while, we started to spend a bit more time together. And then we were dating. And then we were engaged. And then we were married. I don't think along that process I ever asked myself, do I have the gift of marriage? But I know now I do. I have the gift of marriage. We're married. We're together. And I don't think too many people who are married have asked themselves that question, do I have the gift of marriage? 
Is that something that God has given me or not? And I think maybe for the single people, it's the same. You don't have to ask yourself, do I have that gift? If you're here today and you are single, I want to say you have the gift of singleness in this season. Embrace it. Enjoy it. It is a good gift given by God to you to be enjoyed while you have it. Now, some in this room have that gift for now. You will find a partner and get married down the line. And some of us in this room have that gift for life. Maybe that is a question you need to ask God and need to find um, contentment in. But if you are single here today, just accept the fact you have that gift and enjoy it and use it, embrace it, and use it for God's glory because it is a good thing. In Matthew chapter 19, we probably get the best advice we're going to find on singleness, which is from Jesus. And I want to encourage us to listen to it for two reasons. Firstly, is Jesus is God. I really love reading through the scriptures and learning something that I didn't know or hearing God speak to me about something I haven't thought about in a while and being challenged by it and knowing I need to put it into place in my life and obey it. And I want to encourage you, whatever the scriptures have to say as a church, we want to understand them, we want to live them out, we want to embody those in our community and our city. We want to hear what God has to say. But the second thing is not only was Jesus God and he was omniscient, which means he knows all things, But on top of that, Jesus was single, and he was single for life. The greatest man to ever live in the history of this world was single till death. He never had a girlfriend. He never had a first kiss. He died a virgin. We would laugh in our culture today. 33-year-old virgin. Ha! Can you believe it? Jesus was a 33-year-old virgin. He died a virgin. He died never having a first date. He died never being married. Jesus is an expert on singleness, and he sets us the example of what it looks like to live without a partner. And in Matthew 19, verse 12, he says this, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now you might be saying, what's a eunuch? Is that a new word we're going to be using for single people? It does mean something slightly different, but it's the same idea. A eunuch in ancient terms was someone who had actually been castrated at a young age so that they would go through quite a hormonal change. These young boys castrated so that they would be quite effeminate, they wouldn't be masculine, they wouldn't develop testosterone, so that they could be trusted for certain tasks. But there were also some people who made themselves eunuchs. For whatever reason, they chose to be eunuchs, they chose a single life, they chose to never have a partner, they chose to be single till the day they died for whatever purpose it might be. And Jesus is using that language here to illustrate singleness to us. He says some people are single from birth. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I have no desire to get married. I never have. I've always enjoyed my own company. I don't want a partner. I'm happy to be single. Maybe you are single from birth because you have same-sex attraction. Maybe you're here today. You, You are not attracted to the opposite sex. You're attracted to the same sex. And because of that, you're saying to yourself, I will stay single for life. I'll be celibate for life so I can obey Jesus' teachings and worship him with my sexuality and with my relational life. Or maybe you've decided that from birth, you will be single for another reason, because of a physical trait, for some other reason that actually you've decided, no, 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 I'll stay single. Maybe it's a from birth thing. Or maybe it's because of man. That's what Jesus is saying in that passage. Those eunuchs were made single for life by other people. Maybe an accident. Maybe a situation has meant you need to be single for life. You will never have a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship with another person. Or maybe the third category is where you find yourself. Where Jesus says there are those 
who have made themselves single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Those who choose to devote all of their time, their energy, their money, their everything to God and His purposes. We've already said Paul's saying, listen, being married is great, but there's going to be some anxieties, there's going to be some realities, there's going to be some time pressures. You're going to have to satisfy your wife, not just God. And maybe some of you are sitting here saying, listen, I want to make the choice to be single for the glory of God, to advance His kingdom, to devote more of my time for Him. It frees me up. It means I can be independent in a good way. It means I can be selfish with my life for the sake of God's glory and His kingdom. And in the last part of that verse, Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And I wanted to put this on the table today. If you're here today and you're able to receive the call of God to singleness, I'd love to encourage you to receive it today. Receive that call that like the people here in uh, Matthew 19 verse 12, you would make yourself single for the sake of God's glory and the advance of his kingdom. What a noble and beautiful task. I want to share uh, the story of a young woman who made herself single for the advance of God's kingdom. I heard it in a message by a man named David Platt. It tells the story of a girl named Kinesa Wells. She was 22 years old, and just before she moves to the Middle East to serve God in a full-time way, she wrote this email to her friends nervously saying this, I could give up on overseas service and get married and become a music teacher. All of this is very noble, and to be quite honest, sounds good to me. But in my heart, I want to change my world more than I want a husband and more than I want comfort. I need this opportunity to grow and especially to tell others about Jesus. So Knessa Wells went, went to the Middle East. She told people about Jesus and shared the love of God in Egypt. She told Palestinian refugees in a camp in Jordan about the love of Jesus. She told Muslim men and women about Jesus in France and Bedouins about Jesus in the desert. Two years later, after she'd been in the Middle East, in her last email back home, the 24-year-old wrote this. It seems that everything we do comes down to one thing, His glory. I pray that all our lives reflect that. It seems like a floodgate has been opened in my heart to share God's love. I have a passion for it I never knew God had given me. He has given it to me for His glory. Two weeks after she sent that email off and two weeks before she was due to return home to the States. She was driving in a bus through the Egyptian pre-dawn Sinai Desert when there was an accident and she died. And the world looks on and says, what a tragedy that is. This 24-year-old woman with her whole life ahead of her, going home, could have gotten married, could have had kids, could have experienced all the good things that life has to offer her. Shame, she sacrificed and she lost it all out there in Egypt. The world says tragedy. And it is deeply sad, a 24-year-old girl dying. It's very sad, but it's also a beautiful thing. Look at the words of her email. Her life was not wasted. Her life was spent. Her life was invested. Her life was given over fully to God for His purposes and for His glory. We cannot look at that and say that's a tragedy, that's a wasted life. We've got to look at that and say, what a beautiful way to serve God with everything that you've got. And Knesset Wells, the instant after she died in that Egyptian desert, was transported into the presence of God where the next thing she would have seen would have been the face of Jesus. And in this life, she would have never known the pleasures and the comfort of marriage, of having a spouse, of a husband. But in eternity, Jesus would be her pure and perfect loving husband. Never faults her, never does anything against her, would have loved her perfectly. And as she spent all of eternity with him in heaven, 
she would never have looked back for one instant with regret at how she spent her life or the fact that she died at 24 out in that desert. But as she served God and worshipped God in heaven, she would have looked to her left and her right, and she would have seen men and women from Egypt, Palestinians who had lived in Jordan, Muslim men and women who had lived in France, and Bedouins living in the desert who had come to faith, who had come to know Christ because of how she chose to spend her singleness and spend her time for the glory of God. That's how she chose to use her gift of singleness. And I want to say I'm not being heavy on the singles here today. I want to say to all the singles in the room and all the marrieds in the room, everyone in the room, that like Knesset Wells, we should all be challenged and stirred and sparked to spend our lives, to invest our lives for God's glory and to see his kingdom advance in the places that we find ourselves. Don't wish you had someone else's gift. Don't wish you had someone else's life. Don't try and change the situation you find yourselves in. But where you are now, where I am now, we should all seek to serve God fully, to burn out bright, to uh, max out our lives for his purposes. My second point, the singleness and idolatry. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17, it says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And I wanted to ask you today, what is your background? What is your story? What is your history? What are your experiences? What are your hurts? What are your successes and joys? What are your weaknesses and strengths? Your gifts and talents? Because every single person here has got a different background. We're all different. And that means I cannot this morning come and put a cookie cutter mold or some kind of cookie cutter shape on every one of us and say, live like this. And I love what Paul is saying here in verse 17. He's saying you need to be free and you need to be strong enough to live out the call that God has put on your life. It might be to be different. It might be to a unique story. It might, to, it might be to live in a way that no one you know has lived before. But will you be free enough and strong enough to do that? And obviously, we're talking about obeying God. Obviously, we're talking about unique in His will. Obviously, we're talking about obeying His Word, the Scriptures, and the Spirit of God and His leading. But I want to encourage us as a church to be strong and bold and courageous and free and to be who God has called us to be in this world. And as a community, can I encourage us to support and encourage and pray for one another even if someone's story looks different to your story? Can we we be a church of love and care and comfort and support for one another that spurs one another on to fulfill all that God has called us to do? We're called to obey God with our lives, whether we're married or single. And I said already that Paul speaks about his own contentment in his gift. And I wanted to encourage all of us to be content and to find contentment in who God has made us to be and what he has given us. And God is a good God. He is a kind God. He's sovereign, which means he's in control of all things. And we need to be able to trust him to do what is good with our lives. We need to trust him that he is doing what is the best thing for your, your life and for mine, even if we don't necessarily understand what is going on or why it is going on. Are you content in who God has made you to be? Are you content in what God has called you to? Are you content in your lot in life? Because more than just relationships, we need to find contentment in God in our work, in our our finances, in our home, in our marriage, in our looks, in our success, in every area of life. We need to find contentment in who God has called us to be.
The idolatry side comes in when either we are over-desiring or under-desiring something. And maybe for some people in this room today, you are over-desiring the idea of a spouse. Maybe you're over-desiring this idea of a partner and it's become everything to you. It's all that's on your mind. It's all that's running through your thoughts. It's all you pray about. That is your hope. That is your desire. That is your passion. That is your salvation, really. That is your life, your everything. The thought of finding a man or finding a woman that would be yours. But there can also be idolatry where we under-desire the idea of a spouse. Where maybe we so lift up our own freedom, our own independence, our own space, our own ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want, that that has become our everything. That has become our identity. We worship that more than we worship God. That is also not a good thing. And I wanted to share a quote by Tim Keller where he says, If singles learn to rest in and rejoice in their marriage to Christ, that means that they will be able to handle single life without a devastating sense of being unfulfilled and unformed. And they might as well tackle the spiritual project right away. Why? Because the same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single lives will eventually distort their married lives if they find a partner. So there's no reason to wait. He says, demote marriage and family in your heart. Put God first and begin to enjoy the goodness of single life. Paul's an amazing man. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not in vain. I love Paul's security, his confidence in who he is and what God has made him to do. He is so clear and so focused on the call of God in his life, and he's running towards it. And when he speaks again about his singleness here, I love that he sandwiches it in grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. He's saying that the grace gift of singleness that God has given to me is something that I want to use and enjoy and celebrate for God's glory, and I don't want to waste it. I don't want it to be in vain. He wants to enjoy God's grace in his life. And I was thinking about Paul and his experience with the churches he went to, with the letters he wrote. I don't think that people thought Paul was a weird character. I really don't think when it was announced at a church, oh, Paul will be here next week. You know, Paul, the guy who started this church years ago, Paul's going to be here speaking. I don't think husband and wife would uh, lean towards each other and whisper and gossip about him. I don't think they'd say, shame, that guy Paul's coming again. Did you hear he's single? Shame, he, he hasn't found a partner. I think he's ugly. I, I've heard that he really, he's a bit hunched. He's a strange looking guy and he is so awkward with women. My, I spoke to him the one time he came to our church. And yes, he was so, his breath, that is not the kind of thing that would be going on. There wouldn't be someone gossiping about Paul saying, shame, I, I heard he asked out a girl at the church in Jerusalem and she said no. She gave him like, she gave him serious bats. I, I don't think that's what Paul's experience would have been like. I, I think Paul's example to the church would have inspired many. Many men and women would have been inspired as they saw the grace of God on his life. Got you guys laughing about Paul. Sorry about that. As they saw the grace of God on his life, how he'd embraced this gift, how they'd embraced this call. They wouldn't think he was some weird odd guy who just couldn't find a partner. They would say, this man is sprinting. He is running in what God has made him to do. And what an amazing example of someone surrendered and fully devoted to God. I want to be like that when I get older. Older. I don't think Paul was an oddbot in the church. I think he was an inspiration that should encourage all of us here. I'm not just speaking to the singles now. I'm saying to the singles, to the marrieds here. I think Paul's example of finding his grace gift 
his call, his gift, who God made him to be, and running in that and living that out to the full potential that God had given him is an inspiration and a challenge for all of us. What has God made you to do? What grace has he given your life? What gifts are yours? And are you using them fully for God's purposes in this world? I also wanted to say to everyone in this church, we want to support one another. I just think of the support that Paul got from so many in the church for the ministry God had called him to. I want to say it would be so wonderful in life groups and our Sunday gatherings one-on-one that we would support and encourage one another. The marrieds in the church, the singles in the church, we would pray for one another. We would message one another. We would speak to one another words of encouragement that build up and strengthen us. We would be able to do everything God's called us to do. My third and final point, which is my shortest, is Jesus and singleness. In Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 in the NIV, it says, Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I wanted to say for both the marrieds and the singles here, what is your focus? Here it's calling us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to make him our focus, to make him our goal, to be the one that we are looking at as individuals. Because if we're looking at someone or something else, if they are our focus, if they are what's filling our minds and our hearts, we are not serving God. We are committing idolatry. We are finding our identity in something else. More than that, if we are focused on someone or something else, it means we're trying to find our joy, our security, our sense of worth or value. We're looking to something else to save us and rescue us from whatever hell, whatever situation we find ourselves in, which is unpleasant and hard for us. And I wanted to say, as Andy Rogers, who spoke here a few months ago, said on a message I heard him say in singleness, Jesus isn't a consolation prize you get if you're single. Jesus isn't a consolation prize you get if you're single. Jesus is the real treasure for all of us. Jesus is a far greater spouse to you and to I than any husband or wife could ever be. He is the treasure of the universe. He is the greatest thing. And he is the only one who will be able to provide for us in the ways that you and I are looking for. If you're looking for wholeness and fullness, if you're looking for meaning and joy, you will only fully and finally find it in him. And I wanted us just to take a moment to be honest with ourselves. I'm a husband to Michelle. She's a wife to me. And I want to take a moment to be honest and real with myself and with you. Is that Michelle needs certain things. And I can give them to her, but not fully. I can't provide for her and love her and comfort her and satisfy her and give her the sense of security and identity she needs fully. I've got to admit that. I've just got to own that reality. And I've also got to be real that no wife, no partner, no woman in the world is able to give me the love, the joy, the affirmation, the strength, the approval, the security, the identity, whatever it is that I'm looking for. No one can give it to me fully. And if I force Michelle to give that to me, if she forces me to give it to her, I'm just going to uh, disappoint her. It's going to cause an issue in our marriage because we should be looking to Jesus. He is the only one who can provide that to us completely. God is our ultimate satisfier and our ultimate spouse. And as we end this morning, I wanted to say for the singles in the room and for the marrieds in the room, I think there is some repentance we probably all need to do as we look to God and we find our security in Him, as we find our identity and joy in Him, that we need to stop looking at other things and other people, hoping and trusting that they could give us what we need because only God can fully give it to us. If you look to me or the pastors of this church, we will fail you. We won't be able to give it to you. If you're looking to a leader in the church, if you're looking to a friend or a spouse, everyone will let you down. Anything will let you down. 
but Jesus is the one who can fully and finally give it to us. And I want to say, as we try and live out the call of God and live in the grace that God has given to us, we will struggle and we will fail at times and we cannot do it in our own strength. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to help us to live out these realities and to live for God's will in a secure way in this world. Can we stand and pray together?